Well, you are magnificent. Six weeks in a row, you heard me tell you that I think you're magnificent. Since this is the last message in this series, this may be the last time you hear me say these words so deliberately, but just be sure to remember that whether you ever hear me say it or anyone ever says those words to you again, it will always be true. It will always be true because it's something that is said about you in the enduring word of God, the Bible. That's why it's true. It's not because a tall, bald guy says it. It's not because your mama says it to you. It's not because your boss says it to you, trying to squeeze more production out of you. It's because it's true. It's because the Bible says that you're created in the image of God. That deep within you is God's image. And the purpose of this series has not been an attempt to build up your self-esteem using pop psychology, nor has it been my desire to engage you in what I consider to be the empty wells of positive thinking. I just wanted to tell you the truth. You're magnificent. And this truth stands in a kind of polar opposition to the lie under which we all live. The lie of sin, the lie of the, the enemy, Satan himself, who says you're not magnificent, you're hopelessly broken, you're living the life that you deserve, and you're never going to be any different. And that's the lie. And as we get away from this series, I want to break it. I want to break the power of that lie in the name of Jesus from haunting you, traumatizing you another second. Last week, uh, in the fifth message in this series, I endeavored to show you that You know, the basis of your magnificence does not rest in yourself, but in the magnificence of God. And that we will manifest his magnificence as we learn to reflect his glory. That we're a dark rock in some ways, but we have a reflective surface or a a number of reflective surfaces that we can offer to the Lord, much like a diamond with different facets that we can offer to the Lord And when we do that intentionally, deliberately, consistently, then the magnificence of God is displayed to others all around us, and we come off looking pretty good too. So it was my heart last week to show you that we each have a multifaceted reflective surface, which when intentionally turned toward God, reflects his glory and reveals what is truly our core magnificence, which is his image in us. Did that make sense? Say, yes, I can begin this whole thing again. We can go back to the first song if you don't get with it here, people. These multiple reflective surfaces, which I told you, that's not a biblical concept per se. It's a a way that I'm presenting it to you. The multiple reflective surfaces, which when turned toward God, reflect his glory to the world around us, include such things as worship and prayer and ministry and sacrifice and the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. Were the things that we talked about last week. In this way, we're like diamonds, and as we intentionally turn our multifaceted reflective surfaces toward God in these ways, then we reflect His magnificence. And a, di- a diamond, if you think about it, can only be a magnificent thing when one thing is true, when it's reflecting and refracting the light around it. But what, what beauty does a diamond have in the dark? What beauty does a diamond have in the dark? 
Whoever says, want to feel my diamond? Go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. Close your eyes and feel it. Such a case, it would only feel like a hard piece of rock with, in that, in that case, virtually imperceptible sides and angles. But when the light is shown upon it, when the light shines upon it, the whole thing changes. So the Bible says that we're created in the image of God, meaning largely that within us is the core ability to substantially reflect his glory. But apart from turning to him with our reflective surfaces, coming into his light, Jesus said men love darkness rather than the light. So it's an act of intention of will on our part. When we come into his light, we are diamonds in the dark and uh, shining, shining light to others who are living in the dark life. So today I want to conclude the series with, with this question. How do I keep my reflective surfaces polished? How do I keep them shined up so that I can always reflect the maximum magnificence of God to the world around me? Would you like to know that? Say yes. You know I'm going to tell you anyway, whether you say yes, no, or maybe. How do I do that? How, how, what do I need to do to stay shiny? Well, I think there are two primary ways to do this. And to illustrate these two basic ways, I need to utilize a basic element of farming called plowing. And I know since you're all farmers, you will readily relate to this illustration. But in spite of the fact that I may be one of the only few farmers in the room, uh, I think you'll be able to connect with what plowing is. This is, this is plowing here. And you have a tractor, and behind it is an implement called a plow, right? And there's a sharp point or a series of these things that are kind of in a row, and, and the sharp point digs into the ground, and then it has what's called a mold board that is just curved in such a way so that as you go along and you dig into the ground 8, 10, 12 inches, depending on how, how powerful your tractor is, in my case, 4 inches, and, and you, 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 you go along and it digs into the ground, and it, it grabs it, and as you go, it just flips it over so that what was beneath is now on top. And so what's happening here is this farmer is out in this field, and the brown stuff has been flipped, and the grass is now underneath. And this is plowing. This is the whole thing of plowing. And uh, I want to show you some. Go, just go to the next one real quick. If you look at the one on the left, you see that's a plow that has not been used. But the one on the right is all shiny. Why? Because it's been used. And this illustrates the first thing that we need to do with our reflective surfaces in order to keep them polished. And that's what? Use them. Use them. In fact, I, I've heard older farmers uh, earlier in my life. I guess I'm one now. <laughs> Son of a God, how did that happen? When I was a younger man, I would hear older farmers talk about they're going to go polish the plow. And it was a phrase for going out to plow the field. Because using it is the thing that keeps it clean. That over the winter it sits and it collects rust. It's a metallic surface. And then in the springtime, when it's brought out, it, it, it's used, it's scraped and scraped and scraped. And in using it, it becomes shiny all by itself. Well, last week we identified these five basic reflective surfaces. There are more. But as we worship, as we intention, when we come into this room, as an example, when we decide I'm going to worship, feel like worshiping or not, I'm going to worship. When we decide to pray, when we decide to serve, when we decide to sacrifice, when we decide to ask the Holy Spirit to indwell us in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit can come through us, 
When we live in that kind of dynamic relationship with God, then the surfaces remain polished because we're using them. It's when for whatever reason we would say, well, you know, I'm not really doing ministry right now. I'm kind of more in a prayer zone. I'm going to pull back on this or I'm going to pull back on that. I'm kind of not into that anyway. Then that surface becomes dull. And it's only when we use these reflective surfaces in a balanced way. Well, I'm really not the worshiper. I just kind of wait for the songs to be over with so I can hear the talk. When we, when we make that decision, what we're doing is we're saying, you know, I'm good with that, reflect, that facet of my reflective surface being dull. It's okay. I'm cool with that. Well, in that case, what we're doing is we're perpetuating darkness rather than reflecting light. And in every case, we want to hold these things in a kind of balance. If you use them, they will shine. If you don't use them, they'll grow dull. So this is the first primary way to keep these reflective surfaces polished. That's probably not a surprise. You're probably expecting me to say something like that, yeah? This next one might surprise you. The second way is to cooperate with God's polishing work in your life. What? Say what? Say what? Say what? Cooperate with God's polishing work in your life. And by that, I mean, in particular, those serious trials that we endure as we journey along. No one escapes this life unscathed, do we? Nobody. Nobody escapes this life unscathed. Everybody faces trials. Disease. Hurt. Rejection. Trauma. Hello? Say, bummer, Tom. (laughs) Nobody gets out of this thing unscathed. Unmarked. So what do we do? Listen, at the core, at its very core, plowing is a violent process. If you've ever plowed, you know this. You know what it feels like to sit on that tractor seat while those plows go into the ground, grabbing this dirt, hitting a rock about this size every so often, and jarring your teeth out of your head. At the core, plowing is a violent process. And as we go through life, we encounter violence. We encounter trials and violent trials, things that assault us, things that, hello, threaten us, sometimes our very lives. Nobody gets out unscathed. And I suppose the debate will always rage on concerning God's specific role in the origins of these kind of things. I mean, does God create these things in our lives or does he just allow them? That debate just rolls on and on and on. And the argument can be made from Scripture on both sides of that aisle. Does God create, engineer these troubles for us? Or does He just allow them? And I don't know if we'll ever answer the question. In either case, though, God has a purpose in permitting them. God certainly has the power to stop them, does he not? Hello, can we talk? We tiptoe around this thing, don't we? 
all this stuff's happening in the life of someone, and we're going like, yeah, but you know, yeah, but you know, nothing. This person is in pain. This person is being threatened. What do we do with that? God, is God in it? Or has God somehow just released the whole thing to go, I don't know, I'll catch up with this stuff later? At the core of these trials that we have, when we read the scripture, we understand that it's clear from the Bible that there's, that there's a purpose in the trials of our lives. And the other thing that the Bible is clear about is what to do when they come. Let me share a couple of passages. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Now, this is going to hurt some of your feelings. It's going to tick some of you off, okay? James says, consider it pure joy. Joy, joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You swinging yet? Just want to run into this guy in the hospital hallway? Hello? Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know something. He says, you know something. You know that the testing of your faith, the testing of my faith, who is testing my faith? I didn't know there was going to be a test. The guy just said, ask Jesus into my life, and I could go to heaven later. Now there's a test? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops something. It develops perseverance. Well, I wouldn't need this perseverance if I weren't having trials. Hello? This is a circular argument. Perseverance must finish its work. What? Oh, wait. There's a purpose. Perseverance is doing something so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, I don't want to go to heaven like this. I ain't ready. I don't want to be this way the rest of my life. I don't want to be this way forever. And so what God needs to do, God needs to do. To continue to mature us. Not lacking in anything. 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, praise God. That's how he starts, yes? Praise God. Why? Well, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Come on, people. Hello. He's given us... Uh, hope what through the new birth through what the resurrection of jesus from the dead and into an inheritance into something he has for us that can never perish spoil or fade which is being kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed to the last time your salvation is a shield now scene changes in this you greatly rejoice Heaven. Glory, hallelujah. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What? Now he tells us why they're here. These have come so that your faith, your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor in Jesus Christ. These trials are meant to do something. Our faith is somehow being found. It's being refined. It's proved genuine. But I don't like it. Too bad. Take it up with God. Get mad at me. His word. I know. I don't like it either. 
the scriptures say to do something when these trials are coming? I don't know what television program you watch that would make you bite into the idea that Christians should not have trials. It ain't true. It's not biblical. So how do I, how do I cooperate? Ask me then. What, what do I do? Just ask me. Okay. Four things. Give thanks in them. Give thanks in them. First Thessalonians 5, 17, actually 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always, always, always. Pray continually. Didn't I tell you? Give thanks in all circumstances. Catch this, the rest of the verse. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How many of you have been in a situation, a trial, where you go, I don't know what God's will is here. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what God's will is. Come on, raise your hand. I have. Here's the will of God. (laughs) Be joyful, pray continually, and in everything give thanks. In everything. For everything? No, in everything. In everything. In every circumstance, give thanks to God. Second, search for the things the Father is doing in the midst of your struggles. Look for what God's up to. Look. I mean, if this is a test, let's get it over with, for crying out loud, right? Hello? If this is a test, let's, let's do it. Let's look for what the Father is doing. Paul said in Philippians, so Paul's this guy, as many of you know, and he was arrested for being a Christian. He's in jail. It's all looking sour. And here's how he responds to the Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers... What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He goes, good news, I'm in jail. <laughs> Hello? Now, in jail isn't like jail today. It was, it was bad scenery. Good news, I'm in jail. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. How else would they have heard about Jesus had I not been thrown in here? I'm looking for what the Father's doing, he says. Because of my chains, he says, most of the brothers of the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So you look for what the Father was doing in the midst of his trials. Look for him. He's got to be there, right? Even if we don't know the answer to the questions, does he cause them or just permit them? He's got to be there because he's doing something. Look for him. Find him. Third, find the joy that's hidden in your sadness. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers. When you face trials many times. Trials produce sadness, stress, anxiety in us, right? Yes. We can say yes, it's all right. But what James is saying is that there's joy in there somewhere. Somewhere in this mess, there's a bucket of joy. There is a bucket of abiding joy in the midst of every trial. It's in there somewhere. He says, search for it. He said, consider it pure joy. And then discover the faith that's buried in your fear. First Peter said, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. That in the midst of your fear in these trials, you have faith in there. Your faith is being stressed and strengthened. So look for your faith in the midst of the fear. Look for one thing that you're afraid of and stand on it in faith. Fear is the only effective tool of the enemy. He can't kill us. He can only scare us. And Peter's saying that in the midst of every one of these trials, while you're having fear, you can stand in faith. So 
I'm giving you these words just to say that in the midst of trial, in the midst of just such stressful difficulty, the scriptures are coming at us, and it's, it's so much more than about just changing our perspective. It's like, just be joyful. I just want to pop at God. Come on, can we talk? I just want to say, shut up. You don't even know what it's like in here. So it's not about just gaining a Christian perspective. It's, there's oil in them, there are hills. There's something in there to get. There's stuff in there. There's stuff in the trial. There's faith, and there's joy, and there's perseverance. There's stuff in there. And what we're kind of accustomed to doing as American Christians is just sort of like waiting it out instead of digging for the stuff. I want it. I want the stuff. God's up to something here. So go and get what is only yours to have in the midst of the trials that are only yours to experience. Some of you searching for joy. Some of you searching for faith. Some of you searching for these things. Well, then dig in the midst of your trials. They're in there. The Bible says they're in there. So over the past 34 years of ministry, as you can imagine, it has been my experience to walk through many, many trials with many, many people. We've had some of our own. But it has been my experience also to be in company with many, many people over those many years in walking with them through trial. And I've seen a lot, a wide variety of responses, people, the way they respond to this trial. And... Uh, I've always respected each person and the way they responded. I never wanted to be that guy that says, oh, just cheer up. It's going to be okay. I've tried to be honest with them, open with them, hear their heart, enter into that with them, and uh, be used by God somehow to help them discover what is in there to be discovered. I've always respected that. It's also been my personal pleasure along the way to meet some of the people who faced nearly unimaginable circumstances with extreme faith and hope. They've been such a blessing to me. I've been in admiration of them. They've helped me. And they were somehow able to see their extreme trials as expressions of the Father's great love for them. Somehow in the midst of it was God's love. And some of you are sitting here among us right now. You've responded to your trials in that way. And one such person is a dear lady in our fellowship named Allison LeBlanc. And Allison has been one of those bright lights who has met her trial. You've seen her around and with extreme faith and grace. And she has agreed to come now and allow me to briefly interview her this morning. She's only going to be talking to me because she don't want to be standing up in front of all of you, okay? But you get to listen. Please welcome Allison. Please come Oh, I'd rather you sat over here, actually, now that you mention it. Okay, you can just clip this right on your lapel there kind of thing. Perfect. We'll just turn this on, and we'll be good to go. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We need coffee It's or something, a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, a few years ago, you received some very disturbing news from your doctor. Can you... Tell us that what that news was. I was diagnosed uh, July 23rd, 2010, uh, 
mantle cell lymphoma, which was terminal. It was a rare cancer. Most men have it. Women don't usually have it. And it's blastoidive. I'm not claiming it. It was blastoidive, meaning that once it's in the lymphatic system, it just takes off. When it takes off, it grows overnight. And then given in a two-month period of time, it takes over all the major organs and you're gone. It's that quick. A couple of months. What yeah. would you say, uh, what was your initial response when you got that news? Now that's, <laughs> that's an open question. <laughs> it was scary. The fear just overwhelmed me. Just, just took my mind, my body, just took me over. Um, disbelief. I thought they were crazy. Yeah. I thought they had just, no, this is somebody else's diagnosis. You have the wrong person. I feel fine. Well, maybe not. I don't feel fine, but scared. So fear. I just couldn't handle the fear. So it's been three, mo- uh, three years since three you got years. your two-month prognosis. Um, how has your perspective changed from that initial fear to where it is today? I've grown a lot. Um, I think I've always known God. I'm pretty sure I've always known God growing up in a very ritualistic uh, Catholic background, not knocking any religions. Um, and And I knew there were always miracles. And I've seen miracles. I've seen them around me. I know they're there. I know they work. But for God to choose me as a messenger and an instrument to be a miracle for everyone to know and see how real he is. I look at things so totally different that it's not the miracle. It's not the cancer. It becomes to where it's, it's my relationship with God yeah. and something you never want to leave. It's the peace. A peace beyond any understanding that anyone could possibly imagine. Yeah. It's unimaginable. You know, we, you've given us the privilege of praying for you over these last three years a number of times, and it's always been a blessing to be able to pray for you. You're a very receptive uh, patient, if you will. Um, and sometimes when we've prayed for you, you've gone to the doctor and received really good news, and sometimes we prayed for you, you didn't receive good news after that. How are you able to deal with all of that? I stand firm in my faith in the word, which means, and in the nature of God, in which the nature of God is um, joy, peace, uh, strength, power in the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit overcomes us, then... What do we have? Yeah. We have nothing but joy. We have peace. We have, we have things that we don't even understand yeah. happen to us. And I think that has kept me strengthened in going through these trials and tribulations. Because every day the devil, I wake up every day, the devil would lie to me and say, oh my God, you're not really healed. Yeah. You're just imagining that. Yeah. Don't listen to them. Three years you know? later. Three years later. Those silly doctors didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> and I looked at them and I told them, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Talk to my daughter. I don't, I, I don't hear anything you say because I don't believe you. Because there was an overwhelming calmness and power that came over me in my heart telling me, 
everything is going to be okay. Trust me. Wow. Trust me. So and I did. Yeah, I know. I've been watching. I did. And you encounter people who receive bad news. You encounter people who receive disturbing news, trauma, I'm sure. Or if you did. Every day. What, would you, what, what do you say to them? God is real. Most people want to think that, oh, it's just a story. It's a story. In fact, I have people, friends, very close friends that think it's just a story that, that sounds good. That may, you know, the Bible's just, you know, a bunch of collective stories. It's yeah. not really true. Yeah. But when you're facing death and you see these miracles are actually happening to you in your life, yeah. you have to hold on to something. And you know God's real. After you hold on and you see that these things day after day after day, the blessings, the blessings will just fall upon you. You have to stay firm in your relationship with God. You have to stay firm in believing that what he says and his promises are true. He's a covenant maker and he's a covenant keeper. And you have to stand firm on his word. Beautiful. We pray for you. Yes. Lord, heaven, pray with you. I mean, Lord, thank you for our sister. Thank you for three years of miracle keeping her. Thank you for pushing back on your medical prognosis. Thank you for bringing healing into her body from head to foot. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the light that bounces off of her this morning into our lives. As we face trials of many kinds, as we face different trials of different levels of stress and, and threat. We thank you for the message that comes off of Allison this morning, and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit as she has to face these things, to face them in the strength that you have for us. Thank you for her, God. We pray together as a fellowship right now in the name of Jesus that you will completely keep her from ever being affected by cancer again in the name of Jesus, we come around her. And we pray, God, that you will complete your work of demonstrating your glory through her testimony. So we thank you for her. And we lift her up to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, sister. Thanks for having me. Just unclip that there. You can leave it right here if you want for next time. Thanks, sweetie. So it's about entering into something, isn't it? It's about entering into something that God has for us. It's about entering. It's about a deliberate decision. And nobody can really, I guess, understand fully what somebody else is going through. We're not saying that. It's, it's your unique trial but because of that, it's your unique treasure underneath there. But I think the principles are the same. To bring ourselves under the covering of God. To refuse not to believe. To refuse the lie of the devil that says God isn't there or God doesn't care. To refuse to believe the lie and to come under the truth that God loves you, that in the midst of what, however God is working this out, He loves you. He loves you. 
and to live and to dwell in the center of God's love for you brings power and healing and deliverance. And that's an act of our will. That's completely and totally an act of our will to decide that we are going to do that and we are going to resist the lie. would like to lead you in a, a closing song this morning and then afterwards we'll make opportunity for those of you who'd like to stay after to receive prayer. Um, some of you would probably like to come and get, receive prayer of various kinds this morning and we'll do that after we dismiss. But what I'd like to do this morning is, um, is just to lead us in a song that celebrates the love of God and to invite you as we sing it to take the words of it as a prayer and come under his covering, come under his covering, bring, intentionally bring yourself fully under the covering of God's love. As you do that, you may stand where you are, you may rush to the front, you may kneel, you may stand, you may lift your hands, you may do whatever is in your heart to do. But as an act of the will, I'm inviting you to come under the covering of the love of God, okay? Thank you, Lord.